0: Welcome back, folks, to The Mailwright Show. Yes, it's me, Jonathan Denwood, the founder of Mailwright. Robert is with us. But I'm doing the intro for this particular show, folks, because I'm going to be interviewing Robert and finding all the secrets that Robert's been tried to hide. It's linked to the interrogation that I got last week, so I thought I'd take the opportunity to get my own back. And we need to know more about this character that you've been listening to for over two years now. Yeah. So, Robert, would you like to quickly introduce yourself to the audience? Robert
1: Sure. This audience probably knows me best for being an SEO expert and uh, an inbound marketing expert that's focused on residential real estate for the last 16 years. I publish a lot of content on YouTube and my website that helps realtors uh, become masters of the digital space and create leads for themselves.
0: Thanks for that, Robert. And I am the co-founder of Mailrite. We build websites for real estate agents, semi or full custom based on WordPress. That drives now almost 45% of all websites. You need to own your main digital asset and not lease it. And that asset is your website. I think a concept that most of you agents will understand. If that sounds interesting, plus a suite of other marketing tools that we bundle with your website, go to the Melwright website and um, sign a demo and a chat with me. Truly, I'll be privileged to help you out. So, Robert. Yeah. Interrogation time. No, Can't it's linked it. it's linked to our discussion about what should be on your about us page last week. So Robert, um it, people that have been listening to the podcast, as you said yet you um your start of your professional career was around telemarketing and managing la- large telemarketing teams and centres. So maybe we we'll start there. Um you know, I think like last week you said that your childhood, that your parents were kind of kind of semi hippies. Um, maybe give a brief outline what you know what your childhood was like, and and maybe before you got into telemarketing, and then we delve into that. How does that sound, Robert? Sounds great. So, give us a brief, brief, um, brief. Well, reasonably brief description of what your childhood was like before you got into telemarketing.
1: So I was raised in Southern California. We bounced around a lot. I was born in the Hogue Hospital in Orange County. And uh, then my parents moved probably, I want to say, six times between the ages of three and 11. Uh, Santa Monica, Thousand Oaks, Culver City, just to, to name a few. So we bounced around a lot. My parents were on the hippie-ish side. They were definitely part of the free love culture, and and they were fuzzy logic people. And for, for those who are listening who may not know that terminology, they were they were on the cusp of – they were both in technology, but they were both in technology 30 years ago. So they were dealing with uh, huge 8-millimeter tapes. My dad write, wrote uh, the original – helped write some of the original code for the day and night tellers uh, for First Interstate, which – most of the people listening to the show probably don't even remember who those people are anymore. So, I was raised in that environment, and one of the most interesting things that is that I've said in other places that has impacted my entire life, my career, everything, is that they didn't uh, allow media in the house. No TV. Um, they were they were really religious about it up until the time I was about fourteen or fifteen, and um, the only thing that they they put made easily accessible to me is a personal library that they they created. So mostly I was by the time I was 11 years old I was reading at a collegiate level and I was reading Heinlein and a lot of deep sci-fi and um, they they had all sorts of books that I don't think you would normally give to ch- children like The Joy of Sex and and The Bastard which is a really like almost adult like series and just all sorts of stuff but but um, with this copious amount of reading that I was doing, it did two things for me that have, have impacted my entire career. When I, when I hit a challenge in my career or my professional life, I seek books. And when I was young and I had problems in my personal life, like high school problems, uh, which we all had, I read books. And the ideas that I was getting were from very advanced authors. Like I was reading like really deep psychological stuff, Freud and Jung, by the time I was 12, 13. So, you know, somebody's like, I'm gonna hit you. And I'm like, You've got a problem with your id. <laughs> so like this, that it it's impacted my entire life. Unfortunately, it made me an outcast in my early years. I I had very few friends in school. So that that certainly kind of set me on the path of always kind of walking my own road and doing things the way that I was going to do them because I had zero social support for for and zero social relatability from anybody that I was surrounded with.
0: Right. So, how did you? Were did both your parents work? And if they did, well, you said they were both in the tech sector. How did they make their living, basically?
1: Well, my dad started off uh, managing um, data backup stacks at night, uh, and then he found somebody that was willing to mentor him and trade him into coding. So he started coding, Um, and eventually he – and he was coding in uh, uh, COBOL, uh, and then he eventually – Uh, moved into management relatively fast before I was even out of the house, which was the age of 17. He was already moving into management, which is where he spent the whole latter half of his career is getting into higher and higher and higher end uh, project management in the, what we would call the digital space now. But at the time it was just coding. Um, So that's what he did. My mother passed when I was 17, but before she passed, she was doing the same thing that my dad did, but she was always on the management side. My mother was always better with people than my than my dad was. She was a huge personality, and would uh, people automatically gravitated to her. And before she was already working, her every single time she would work someplace, she would just instantly start getting, well, not instantly, but she get promoted into management slots pretty quickly. I think.
0: So fundamentally, we're in tech, but also in the alternative lifestyle kind of. Area of the Bay area, would, would not
1: the Bay. We were oh. we were always here in oh, LA, which North. means that they were both working for a lot of banks. Oh, like right. That bank, banking is big here in Los Angeles, and uh, at a certain time, not so much anymore. But at that time, you think you're talking 30, 40 years ago, banking was still was kind of leading, or hmm. at least matching the lead for information technology revolutions. They were trying to process payments and they were doing stuff with yeah. check encoding and Micker encoding and all those different things. And so at the time, it was a fairly revolutionary industry.
0: Yeah. So have you got any brothers and sisters?
1: I have a single brother, a um, stepbrother technically. Uh, my, mo- my father remarried and had a child when I was 22. So I have a brother that is separated by me in age for 22, and we were raised entirely differently. So um, my dad learned all the lessons from me, um, like what to do, what not to do. He and my mother were so young when they had me. They were out partying a lot when I was, I was a kid. So um, I mean, they were 20, I think they were, I was seven, and, and they were 25 when they got married and I was seven. Like that I was really, really young parents. So anyway, my brother, uh, yeah, I have one brother.
0: All right. That's great. And um, I think he does. Does he help in the business at all? I think he does a bit, doesn't he? He did.
1: uh, Actually, up until recently, I don't think I've had a chance to update you. uh, He actually got himself a job at a major white labeling SEO agency in Uh, took a significant pay increase that inbound REM couldn't afford to Mm -hmm. give him. But yeah, my brother worked for me for three and a half years. And I taught, uh, I mentored him on the SEO skill set. And he's now taking those tools and applying them out in the big bad world on major accounts.
0: Oh, that's great. So you said you were a bit of an outsider at school. Um, Also, you've been quite open about some of your addiction problems that have been part of your life in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, so did those, um, before you got into um, telephone marketing and marketing telephone marketing centers, did that addiction rear itself before that or was it after a nope. period of time you got involved in that industry? I don't do anything normal, John.
1: Um, no, actually addiction for me only came into play so I have a, my, my actual blood family, my dad's my adopted father. So my actual blood family has a very strong addictive history. And I ignored that, but I really didn't come up. I was not much of a drinker or drug user. Um, I had been raised around it so much that whole idea kind of turned me off. Mm-hmm. So the only the only because that's what my parents were doing, it was the culture at the time. There's just all sorts of, you know, marijuana wasn't as hip as it is now. Like, so I was already being raised around that. I had no interest in doing it. So I was actually a real clean cut. like 18 through 28.
0: Which is an unusual for people that have been brought up in that. To my understanding, in that culture, they tend to be a little bit anti it to some extent. Yeah. So...
1: What happened for me is that uh, I actually got divorced from my first wife, and then that was when my drinking problem started, oh, uh, almost right
0: after the fact. So it was a what around dealing with stress and depression, was it? <sighs>
1: Uh, looking back on it, I just, yes, you could say it was a type of depression. I, I made choices that I didn't think I would ever make. It was never one of those people that said, oh, I'm going to get married and I'm going to get divorced. I was always one of those people that said, if I'm going to get married, because it was never a goal of mine. If I'm going to get married, it's going to be once and done. Uh, so when I opted to step away from that relationship, I broke my own heart quite significantly and had, a, it took me seven years and a lot of self punishment for me to come to the understanding that basically I was dealing with a broken heart that I had caused. <laughs> so uh and, I, and and in the meantime I turned into a total uh, a wreck of a human. Many, many run-ins with the law over drugs and alcohol, uh, warrants in different places, trips to jail, uh, never doing the programs that were assigned to me by the state or the city or whatever it was, just always getting myself in trouble, lost businesses, lost relationships, just all the, all the things that you, all the stories that you hear that relate to addiction can definitely be applied to me.
0: So, if you don't mind me asking, what was the turning point that turned that around? What was, was the, anything you identified, any individual moment, insight, whatever it might be, that made you decide that maybe another path would be a slightly better choice?
1: Well, it was um, in, the, in the program, they call these God shots, uh, but I definitely had a really dramatic one. Um, I was in a shelter. And I had managed to drink myself into homelessness. And I was in a shelter down in Long Beach and um, uh, I had no money. So I wasn't drinking and I, I never could quite get myself around panhandling hand or stealing. So that wasn't the kind of alcoholic or, or that I was. But I was sitting here in the shelter and I had every intention of getting a job, getting some money and just going straight back to partying. That, that was my whole objective when I was in this shelter. And... There was a guy in this bed next to me. Um, they closed the doors, and make everybody go to bed, and it's like a but like a like a like a shared dorm room kind of experience, like a bunker kind of like a a military whatever the barracks barracks. There we go. It's like a military barracks with everybody set just literally just a few feet away from each other. And this guy, this old guy who was a real sweet guy, um, he seemed to be struggling with his breathing at night, and and I didn't I. Slept next to him before, and this particular time, I hear this breathing, then I hear this big rattle, and then nothing. So I actually reached over and kind of put my hand on his neck after whispering, "Hey, you okay? You okay?" Because we're not supposed to talk or move after lights go out, and they'll kick you out of the shelter if you do that. He was dead. The guy was dead. And uh, the weird thing was, is I mean, he was sweet. He wasn't. um, He wasn't one of those like dangerous addicts. He was just one of those self-destructive addicts. And, um, I just had this moment of clarity, man. Like I looked at him and realized like in my head, you go to this place where you're like, Oh my God, I can't believe this guy did them to himself. And then I realized, wait a minute, I'm in the same shelter in the bed next to him. How can I possibly like there for the grace of God go I, like I literally had that moment where I said, if I don't make some internal decisions that are dramatic, I am going to be this guy, whether it's tomorrow or 15 or 20 years from now, this is me, for sure. I just had this sudden sense of certainty, like a bolt of lightning hit me right through the head. And that's when I actually made the first, I tried to give up drinking like 50 times prior, but not with like a high degree of certainty that, oh, if I don't do this, I will die. Like, and, and that's what happened for me in that moment. Like I just said, if, if I don't change, this is me.
0: That's great. I think we're going to go for our break. When we come back, we'll be discussing Robert's journey, professional journey, um, from call center wizard and manager to SEO expert. We'll be back in a few moments, folks. We're having a bit of dive with my uh, co-host for the past couple of years, Robert Newman, of Inbound REM. Um, so we did a bit of a jump because we because um, I think you've been open about your addiction and uh, your recovery yeah. from it. So obviously, so you we jumped a little bit. So from being brought up by your parents, you then got into call centres um what were some of the lessons that you learnt from being involved in that industry what on reflection what are some of the key things you learned around people management and marketing in in general robert
1: ah uh, so many i learned how to be an like in like how to take being an introvert and deal with people, manage people. I I had all of my brutal lessons about people management and uh, like all at a very young age. I was already running or helping run like small call centers when I was uh, 19. And so I was... But they were... They're the same things they are today. Usually you have people at the lower end of the societal spectrum. Oftentimes they're dealing with mental, emotional, addiction problems. The, The people that do call center work are usually not, it's like, it's like, let's put it this way. You're not going to find somebody with an like an MA in some kind of tech that came out of fucking Oxford or something like that. You're going to find people that are high school dropouts who are struggling, who took this job as a last option. And that kind of means that they're going to give you, the, the, that they insist that you deal with them at a human respect-based level. It's an interesting, it's a very interesting career path to choose and I got really brutalized. Like I remember once uh, I said the word folks in the middle of a, of, a, of a meeting of about 30 people. And one of the uh, black ladies at the meeting literally stood me out in the hallway and for 20 minutes told me exactly how racist I had just sounded. And I'm raised by hippies who Loved everybody, like they, we had gay friends, we had black friends, we had everybody in my house. There was never any any exclusionary, and so I was just like, "I'm not, I mean, I'm 19, and I'm getting dressed down by like a 40, 50 year old black lady, and I'm just like, I was just like, oh my god, I'm so sorry. I didn't, I did not mean to offend you." So it really taught me a lot of things about human beings and. Uh, the other thing that it taught me, which is what plays in today's career, interestingly enough, telemarketing done well. My mentor, Billy Halberstadt, who was my first mentor at the age 20, he was the first person that introduced me to spreadsheets and the concept of calculating how many calls everybody was making, what our close percentage was. So from a very early on, and he was the most effective. We were working for a little alarm distributor that was working uh, for AT&T, and they were they, we were blowing the doors off Southern California. We were beating everybody. And Billy was running all of the call, the appointment setting, the outbound telemarketing for them. And I was assisting Billy and he was teaching me why he was so effective because he would look at scripts and he would look at changes in those scripts and then he would look at our numbers. And then he would say, did this change here? We, he also taught me about tonality, which is one of the first times I ever started to realize how deeply It's not what we say sometimes, but it's how we say it. And so all of those elements, and and the list keeps going on and on and on. Like there's so many things that you don't, like mirroring as an example, mirroring behavior over the phone, which is also something that Billy told me. I got super lucky. My first mentor was a studious, studious guy who had read all the available books. He introduced me to Tom Hopkins, which goes back to what I already shared with you. He gave me some books to read as my mentor. And I dug deep into those things. And so uh, so I started applying professional sales tactics on in telemarketing as well. And then teaching professional sales tactics because most of the people in the call center were just reading from scripts. They had never learned any professional sales tactics like alternative choice closes or uh, assumed closes or um, like... Um, Trial closes, and the list goes on and on and on. And all these things that that professional sales trainers will teach you really weren't being used in call centers. So I I made a career out of that. Like I made a career out of what Billy taught me, tracking statistics. Which believe it or not, we didn't have. It wasn't digital. So Billy was way ahead of his time. And so we, I used that whole methodology of figuring out how to track things. You know how we used to track things, John. You'll love this. You know how we used to track calls. I have no idea how you did it. Tick marks on a on a piece of paper. Every time somebody made a call, we had them make like a little. I don't have a clean piece of paper, but we had, had to make a, like a little just tick mark, and then we do just have them do five. So we would track. We would literally have them track their own calls by tick marks because this is way prior to digital. There was no such thing. So we tick mark their calls. We take what, what were called their call sheets at the end of the day. And part of my job as the assistant was the, to calculate the tick marks. Like I'd add up all the tick marks and then I would throw them into there. Were, I don't even know if we called it Excel at the time. It was all brand new. Like like this was all brand new. Computers were were fairly new back then. So we were Like I'd add up all the tick marks, throw him into Billy's little spreadsheet, and then he'd he'd look at the numbers, how many appointments were set, and then he'd try to calculate that into how many deals the salespeople had sold.
0: Yeah, so so we dealt with that bit, and we've dealt with a little bit about your years of addiction and that. So after your kind of turn, your your experience with a gentleman in the shelter, how did this lead? to getting involved with SEO and the start of your present business, Inbound REM? Well, I was running
1: um, some of the largest call centers in the Western United States. There was about seven of them, uh, about 1,300 people. It was definitely the largest independent operation that existed uh, on this side of the country. And uh, by independent, I mean it wasn't like a big, Tele- telecommunications company or anything like that. And so um we were when I I had I was I was unofficially kind of the CMO for the company. There there were people that were in charge of a lot of direct media filming stuff and that was at the corporate office and I was in a satellite office but I was basically running all the things related to marketing. And I had a three-person web development department. Those three people were doing 20% of our revenue and I had 1,300 other people. So we're, we're basically saying three people had about the value of 400 employees. And so when I saw that on paper, everything I've ever done, thanks to Billy, I'm looking at the numbers. I'm looking at the statistics. I'm tracking what's happening. That I already been thinking about digital and thinking, oh God, I'm in, an, I'm in a shrinking industry. It's it's not as like once it, what it was once was. It's annoying calling people on the phone. They always don't like you. Like even customer service calls are tough where they're calling into you. So when I saw those numbers, that's what changed the game for me, John. I said, I was just like, so I'm, I'm going to reveal something on the show that I've never really talked about. The company in question was uh, I, we was a corporate entity of Mantra Entertainment, but it was uh, better known as Girls Gone Wild. And so, while the founder of that company was in jail, I was running all the call centers, or at least during part of that time, I was running his call centers for him. And <laughs> um, he he was he was uh, an addict on his, in his own right and very mm-hmm. unstable. And uh, I lasted longer than any other call center manager. I lasted a year and a half, but then. My time came where he called me from jail and fired me because that's what he had done to every single other call center guy before me. So uh, when that happened,
0: so I, you take I, you take it as a badge of honor then. I,
1: I I said I lasted longer than anybody else, and and he did try to rehire me, which I said no because he was nuts. But um, or or actually, I shouldn't say that because we're publicly. I should say that he was going through a hard time and he was unstable. To be fair, so. Um, I will say that uh, when that all happened, John, I had had it in my head, like, I'm going to get into digital. I, mm-hmm. when, when, the, when the time came, that call came through, I just knew, even as I was packing up my desk and walking out the building, I'm like, I'm going to get into digital. This is the time. I mean, I'm newly sober. I just got out of this really stressful job. I'm definitely, so I, Sent out 300 resumes. So and what, first...
0: what time period are we talking about? When When was this? This,
1: this is about 15 years ago, 16 years ago. So I sent out 300 resumes. So it was like 2006 or 2007. It was right in the middle of the mortgage meltdown. Yeah. And so I sent out 300 resumes, no surprise. Everybody was panicked. I got no responses from my resumes. Plus I had no tech experience. And then finally, I changed things on my resume, which is why I decided to share it on the show. You know, it's funny because I sent out 300 resumes with Mantra Entertainment. I ran all the call centers. Nobody called me, not one call. A couple of emails back, nobody called me. It was a, I was panicked. I'd never had this hard of a time getting a job. So I changed my resume and actually revealed that it was Girls Gone Wild. And the funny thing is, is that the first person that actually called me was John Crabb the founder of, one of the three founders of Agent Image, one of the biggest developers of real estate websites that exists. And he was curious about the Girls Gone Wild thing. He was basically, Are you? Re- did you really just apply for a tech job at my company? <laughs> like that was basically his, his question. And I said, yes. And I, I got very lucky because we had this incredible conversation, which I'll never forget that out- lasted hours long. He pulled me into an interview He had me meet the entire sales team at Agent Image. I managed to convince all of them that I was a good risk. And then they brought me on for 30 days as a project manager. And then they let me start uh, their online uh, sales division uh, as a salesperson. So uh, that's how I got my start.
0: Right.
1: So I'm not...
0: Oh, online
1: marketing. I did say online marketing, right? Like, yeah, they had a division they had never done before that was related to online marketing. So I started selling those services. I was the first person in that division to do that.
0: Obviously, um, I'm from England. I'm English. Um, So I'm not aware. Obviously, you've mentioned just quickly, uh, obviously, um, we need to wrap up the podcast part of the show. We're going to be continue the discussion a bit longer, though. But, um just to finish off the podcast, um obviously you've mentioned this t v show a couple a few times, but I'm not actually aware of it because obviously oh, that's what, 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 what what Can you give a brief outline why it's so obviously in your heart the way you expect it expressed it It's a little bit notorious this t v show uh, what, not a not a little
1: bit I, right now, I promise you half the people listening to the show are laughing their
0: took us but i'm not aware of it i'm like you got to do all you got to gotta yeah.
1: do, is, all you gotta do is google it but here's here's the premise so girls gone wild be- turned uh turned teenage rambunctiousness into a national phenomenon they would get in this bus and they'd basically drive around with this big girls gone wild logo on it and they go to fl- spring break in places where young people congregate and then young uh, women would go into this bus and take off their clothes for a cameraman and and they would film it and they create these DVDs and then they would sell these DVDs on cable. Okay. We at the height of Girls Gone wow, we had a $7 million per month per month cable budget. So I was running all the call centers that supported that Un, unbeknownst to many people, We had a contract with Vivid, which was an adult entertainment producer too. So we're doing cold calls for both Girls Gone Wild. And so so searching under people, there's about 150 people in customer service. And everybody else was doing outbound calls or what were called product add-on calls for other vendors, which is just where they would add Girls Gone Wild CDs onto the tail end of another offer. So we were just everywhere. I mean, we built up a massive marketing machine. I'm massive which is surprising like that all this is telling anybody that's listening is you did not turn on any U.S. cable TV during like from 2004 through 2008
0: like you just didn't I was listening to Radio 4 and had my tea my biscuits with my tea this is this sounds a little bit more outside so basically it was a a kind of quasar, kind of soft porn, kind of show, was it not basically that's what it was? All right, well, thanks for the picture. We're gonna wrap, <laughs> wrap up, we're gonna wrap up. I'm not sure if I want that picture in my mind, but there we go. Uh, um, um, so we're gonna wrap up the podcast part of the show. We're gonna, I'm gonna delve a little bit more into Robert's background. Hopefully, you've enjoyed this. If you have, leave a comment um in the youtube channel or on the facebook page which are, you can join and all free um like i say we're going to continue the discussion for about 10 15 minutes robert what <laughs> what is the best way for people to learn more about you and what you're up to robert
1: well minus all the detail that we just covered in this interview you can learn everything that that i've shared with the world about inbound marketing and about real estate SEO on my website inboundrem.com. If for some reason some of you want to contact me, you can do so on my about or services pages and schedule an appointment to talk to me. If you um, mainly if you're on the if you're on the the middle to upper end of your own market and you're looking to change your marketing, get rid of all the recurring paid services that you love to hate, Zillow, Trulia, like KV Core, Sync, the list goes on. Y Lopo. If you want to take ownership, I would be a good call to start maybe researching that.
0: Yeah. And um, if you want to contact MailRite, our perfect customer fit is somebody between their second to fifth year in the industry, either individual or a small power team. And you're looking for a company to build your. Digital presence on WordPress and also want to help with Facebook and Google paid advertising. Um, Mel Wright is your, should be your partner. And please go over to the Mel Wright website and look at what me and Adam have to offer you. We'll be back next week with either we'll be discussing a subject internally between me and Robert or we will have an industry expert. Um, to give you more insight about how you can be more successful in 2022. We'll see you soon, folks. Bye. Bye.